Right. Good afternoon for your East Coasters, everywhere else on this planet. Um, good day to you as well. Uh, welcome to the September edition of our men's mission briefs here at Soul Refiner. Uh, today, I am joined by my good friend, Micah. He is coming into us from Colorado. How you doing today, Micah? Hey, brother. How are you? I'm doing great, man. <laughs> I'm well, man. Thank you for asking. Uh, it is hot here, man. I mean, it's like pushing 95 degrees and it's about, I don't know, 127% humidity. Please regale me with stories about your weather there in Colorado. It's been warm this week, but we have zero humidity. So so even when it hits 85 or 90, it's it's like, you know, 70 out where you are. Yeah. This is the time of year where you get to rub it in, man. And then come February when you're trudging through some of that snow, even though it's fine powder and it's great for the slopes and everything. You know, that, that's when I sit back and kind of thumb my nose at you guys. So. Understandable. <laughs> All right, team, we're getting a ton of people in here right now. Please go ahead and start populating the chat. Let us know who you are, from where you're calling. Um, any thoughts you might have about forgiveness? We are stoked to be talking about this. There is a metric crud ton of content here to get through. And that is a doctrinal term. If anybody needs to look that up, I'm sure it's over in one of your DOD documents. So uh, go ahead and get into that. That said, I'm going to go ahead and pray us in, as always. Lord, thank you so much for today. Uh, God, thank you for Fridays. Um, and Lord, thank you that that's not my only prayer this week. I'm just thanking you for today. Uh, thank you for um, the ability to get together with a bunch of guys to talk about you and what you've done in our lives and to talk about where we came from, uh, talk about your rescue for, for us, and talk about how now we get to be on mission with you. Lord, we know you don't need us, but we thank you so much for the ability to get together, talk about this stuff, and to think deeply about you, your forgiveness, the way you've inspired our significant others for forgiveness, the way you inspire us to forgiveness. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. So like I mentioned, Micah is coming to us from Colorado. Uh, thank you for the folks that are burning in. I just saw New Mexico, Kansas, Augusta, Georgia. Uh, hey. The Masters, I know we're a little bit away from it, so everybody hold on. It's only seven more months. We'll be back to God's country. We'll be you know, back to Amen Corner, just not quite yet. And so uh, we got people already shouting out to Micah in the chat. That's Troy. I think Troy is in parts unknown right now. He might be honeymooning at this point, um, but I know he's still a newlywed technically. So Yeah, congrats, Troy. That's awesome, man. Micah, fill us in, man. Give, give us a little bit of your backstory before we launch into this discussion about forgiveness. Yeah, well, let me start. Let's start with present day. You know, my wife and I, we've met Caleb. We've been married 26 years. Um, we've been doing some some Stronger Together series, both live and virtual for, for folks that we encounter and, and some strangers as well. Um, and I've been teaching the Conquer series for about two years. But, you know, that's that's where we are today after a, a very long, twisty, hard road. Um, in that 26 years of marriage, the first, you know, the first two were great, like most people's are. Um, and then I'd say probably year two to seven, I, ma I made a concerted effort to do everything I could to destroy that marriage, to get out of it, to, to remove myself from that responsibility, to find ways to not be where I was. Um, you know, and of course, there was there was alcohol involved in that um, heavily, but, but there was also a lot of uh, promiscuity and infidelity involved on my part. Um, and it, it was a rapid decline. You know, it went from, man, what did I get myself into that I'm not ready for to, well, I'm just going to find a way out. And, uh, you know, I, I thought I was taking steps to ensure the end of the marriage and the release from that responsibility. 
reality was that I was just doing everything I could to, to, to show my cowardice and, and to hide from, from what I had stepped into. Um, so, you know, there, there were a couple of different instances of infidelity. Um, there was a relationship and then there was a, a daughter born from a relationship. Uh, you know, and so now I've got a, I say, I, we've got a, a 20, uh, coming up on a 22 year old daughter. Um, that's not my wife, you know? Um, and so that certainly added to the complexity of it. Um, and, uh, once that was over, it was, it was years and years of, of recovery process. You know, we didn't have stronger together. We didn't have the conquer series back then. Uh, but more than that, we didn't have other people. We, we didn't have brothers and sisters who understood or were willing to walk through it with us. You know, we certainly had pastors. We had our parents, my wife's parents are, are missionaries and pastors. So we, we had, we had faith, we had Jesus, we had some support. But we didn't have, have people who had been through it. We didn't have people who could could sit next to us and, and, and truly understand it. And so we did everything the hard way and, and took three times as long as we probably should have to, to get it all figured out. Man, thank you so much for relaying that and for the for the natural segue into you know what I consider to be the main punchline here with all these groups. Um, these are recovery groups. And I don't want anybody to ever make any kind of mistake on that. These aren't life groups where we continue just to come and just be fed for the rest of our, our Christian existence until we meet glory. Uh, these are groups that are designed to get us gunned up and gassed up and then right back into the fight as leaders eventually. And so I don't care where you are in your walk. If you're coming through and you're in the maintenance phase where you, you've recovered now for five to 10 years, if you're in the triage phase where you're hurting, or if you're in the prevention phase, you are a future leader for men and women that have been hurt by sexual sin and sexual stronghold. And please look at it that way. Um, your hurt can help so many people, provided that you hand it all over to Christ. And part of that is through forgiveness. Um, before we get started today, uh, we'll be talking out of Matthew 18 throughout. So if you want to go to the back half of Matthew 18, um, you can start right there with 15, and then we'll be going right on down. We talked a little bit about this in our, our last leadership forum and on conflict resolution, and then it just rolls right into forgiveness at the end of that. Um, and so Mike and I are, are going to first talk about God's forgiveness for us. And I think this is so important for us to understand um, because it's going to dovetail into your wife's forgiveness for you, and then it's going to really uh, help you with your own forgiveness. That's for yourself, for others that have hurt you in the past, and eventually you're going to need to forgive your wife for some stuff because of some of the things you've done. You've hurt her way more than you're hurt right now, believe it or not. And you're going to recover maybe a little bit quicker than her. So you're going to need to forgive her eventually at some point for some of the stuff that she will do in the future because you've hurt her so badly. So yeah, absolutely. I'm a, go ahead, Micah. Oh, I just said, absolutely. You know, we, we often forget that we we were looking for the forgiveness for ourselves and, and from others for what we've done and that's valuable, but we, we've, we've caused a lot of damage and, and that's going to lead to, to, you know, our having to forgive others for, for where we've taken them and those that have chosen to stick by us. Yep. So on, yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. So let, let's get right into it. Before we get into the topics, Bart, you used to be probably the guy that was, I don't know what I would consider to be the, 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 the tyranny of distance affected the most, but I'm seeing Romania burning in here. I saw Hungary a little bit earlier. Uh, I think I saw somebody from either Australia or New Zealand. It might've been in the meeting before, but uh, Bart, sorry, 
you're now only top five. So um, <laughs> I know you're I know you're okay with that, and we still love you. But all right, guys, the first question here is is, is really all about God's forgiveness. Thank you, Bart. I, I appreciate your your crying eyes there, uh, smiley face. So following sexual sin, how do you confess and repent to God? And when I talk about repentance, guys, uh, I think we, we discussed this somewhat before, but I want, you know, for the sake of this audience, repentance means that you're not turning your head, thinking about going a new way and just looking at a new way. I mean, you are turning your shoulders, you're turning your body and your carriage is in that new direction. Your frame takes you a new way. That is true repentance. It's not just, oh, the new way has my, has my somewhat attention. No, it has your full attention and your full direction, your focus, everything. And, and the reason why I think true repentance has to do this is because of our old direction. That's the pathway to death and destruction. And if anybody wants a little bit of biblical reference on that, just take a look at Proverbs 5 and 7. And it talks about the path to that woman's house. You know, the young man comes to the, the, the point where he has to make a decision. Am I going to walk past that woman's house? And when we say that woman, we're talking about that woman. I don't care if that woman's on your video screen. I don't care if she's your affair partner, your strip club, whatever that looks like. You know what that woman is. You have to make that concerted effort not to walk by her house. That's your old pathway. Okay, your new path is the path of repentance. I'm not going that old direction anymore. And so... What do you have to say on this, Micah, about, you know, how do you confess and repent to God? Yeah, confession's weird, right? Because God already knows. And, and I think sometimes we use that as a, as a scapegoat or an easy out. Like, well, you're, I mean, you already know what I did. Um, but, but I think there's value in, in the physical exercise of a, of a vocal confession to God, having that conversation, recognizing that a lot of people know what I did. That doesn't mean that they understand, have forgiven, have, you know, doesn't even mean they've passed judgment. They just happen to know a fact. Um, and I, and I, I think I had to look at God the same way initially and say, you know, I need to have this conversation with you. I need to say it out loud. This is what I've done. And this is how I got here. I need you to I need you to show me how I got here because I don't want to go back. Um, and and I think that in that moment of, of verbalizing and vocalizing that those instances with God, that's the start of the healing process. You know, I, I, I oftentimes say to, to folks I'm in conversation with, the healing is in the sharing. And that's both on my side and theirs. You know, every time I share my story, I get a little bit better for it. I get a little more freedom. I get a little more relief. But I also give that to other people and they get to take away from it and, and, and feel some security in their own. And so I think that that first confession with God is the start of that healing process. Amen. Amen. I, I think that there's so much value in that saying it out loud. Too many times we start these prayers in our head and, and by the time we're done with it, we're thinking about the prosperity gospel. Okay, Lord, I've, I've handed this over to you now. So uh, I, I'd like my cash and prizes at this point. And yeah, I think, I think sometimes we, we, we take the concept of handing it off to God as laying it, laying it off to him. Here, you deal with this. <laughs> and, and that's not really how it's supposed to be. You know, when, when, when we let him deal with our problems, when, when we really go to God and say, I need you to figure this out for me, that's a partnership. I can't figure it out. Walk with me and tell me what's going on, as opposed to just to your point. Nope, that's in the past. That's done. Here you go. I'm going this way. We'll forget about that thing because that because you got that, that one. Yeah. 
you know, and then that leads to the repentance, right? That that repentance is that change of behavior. That's it's not it's not as simple. Hey, I'm sorry about that. If I'm not changing my thought process and I'm not changing my actions, then I'm probably not truly repentant. I like I like to refer to James's waterfall of sin. You know, where where we enter at temptation and we drop to desire, sin, and death. And so it, unless we can allow Christ to change our desires, we're destined to go back. We're destined yep. to, to try and enter that argument, then it's sin, and we're just a, a stone's throw away from death. And I, I completely agree with you. Um, whenever we do say it out loud, we recognize, Lord, I know you already know this, but I need, I need to come clean with you. I need to offer account of myself. Mm-hmm. And usually that only happens after we've started offering account of ourselves to other men. And yep. maybe that only happens after maybe another man demanded accountability of us, which is what some of us need. Yeah. Well, and I think that's an important, you know, step one, two, three, you just laid out there, because if the first time I say something out loud is in that group of men, that might not be as freeing or as comfortable or as, as revealing as it needs to be. You know, every time I say it out loud, it gets easier to recognize how far I've moved forward from that thing. If you start with God, that's that first release. I've shared with you. Now I'm going to share with with this, you know, this handful of men that, that really care and want to see me get better. Now I can share with a larger audience. And that just continues on from there. Um, and, and so there, there's certainly some value in that progression. Yeah. Well, we got our first question that's already come in, Micah. And I know, I know we have a great, you know, outline here. Um, and but I love it when we get some of this interaction. And so Vincott sure. uh, has opened it up on the Q&A. First off, he says, nice to meet you, Micah. Uh, did you get psychological counseling? Did it help? Or did you get just Christian counseling? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's 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 so much to unpack there. Um, I took a unique route. So we did, you know, my wife and I did spend some time with with some pastors that were the a pastor that we knew. Um, I wouldn't say that it was terribly fruitful, but but it was certainly, you know, it was a starting point. Um, um, we didn't get any psychological help per se. But what I did on my own down the road and uh, not as quickly as I wish I should have, I went back to school and I got a degree in sociology and psychology and it continued on to get a master's in psychology. Um, That has helped exponentially as I now have a greater understanding of what I was dealing with 20 years ago. Um, So I'm going to say that, you know, by saying all that, I'm going to tell you that there's value in it. There's value in the psychological aspect and and having other people help us understand how our minds work, what's going on in there, aligning that with biblical principle, putting that next to scripture. Um, You know, if you can find a Christian psychologist, fantastic. They're few and far between. They're not available everywhere. But if you can find the right balance of the two and really marry the the body, soul and spirit as as a single operating unit and and bring it all together to, to make sure that you're covering those bases, there's value in it. Man, that, that, that's wonderful gouge. Gouge is something in the military that we say, um, hey, th- this is what's going to be asked of on, on this examination. We call it gouge. You know, this is the stuff. This is stuff that you need to know. And that, that's great. You know, finding a Christian psychologist is difficult enough, mainly because most psycholo- psychologists and psychiatrists that are licensed have to, um, they're kind of beholden to this thing called the DSM-5, which demands that they they give a, uh, some sort of diagnosis for every person that they meet. Mm-hmm. And uh, last I checked in the DSM-5, they don't have, you know, a uh, black-carded center as one of the diagnoses. 
Uh, it's just not something that you're going to find in a government no. document like that. Yeah, and that's a great point. So yes, yeah, so you're gonna, you know, if, if you if you don't if you don't get the alignment of the agreement with the Bible and really find find those those both sides of that, you're gonna miss one or the other for sure. Absolutely. So, Vincada, I hope that answers your question. Um, I think there's utility and really all the above there. Uh, I love the Christian counseling aspect of it because it helped us realize um, in the end, you know, kind of bottom line is, you know, we're all rapidly depraved sinners in, in yep. desperate need of a savior, and so. Um, by the way, folks, if, if you have a question and answer or a question you want to have answered, uh, there's a Q&A section at the bottom of your screen. Uh, I'm on a, a, a laptop, and so it comes at the bottom of mine. I don't know what it is on the mobile uh, interface, so whatever that looks like for you, but please hit that up. I'll try and catch them all in the chat if I can. So the next one is, you know, how do you ask God for forgiveness, and how do you know when he's forgiven you? And so you have any thoughts on that one, Michael? You, you know, the how, I mean, we, we covered the vocalization, but I, th I think really the how is, <clears throat> I think really what you're asking is, how do we make it genuine? How, do, how does it, you know, how do we do it once and really get it right? Um, and I don't know that answer because it, it takes more than once. It, it's a process. Um, but, but I think what it comes down to is, you know, inward recognition, you know, the, the unfortunate side of addiction, whatever with whatever we're talking about, is that there has to be a rock bottom, uh, and you have to reach that point. And that point is different for everyone. You know, there is there is no scale, there is no diagram, but you have to reach that point where you've recognized that change is your only way out. And when it, you when you're seeking true change, that's when you're asking for forgiveness because that's when you're going to God and saying, "I can't do what I'm doing anymore. I need you to show me a new way." Um, and, you know, I think I think that forgiveness is when you're asking for forgiveness, especially from God, you're asking him to walk forward with you. I'm no longer capable on my own. Show me what I'm supposed to do next. Show me the right behaviors. And, and by giving ourselves to him and letting him walk us through that um, and then finding those men and those 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 supports to lend to that, you know, giving up our ability to choose, giving up our right to choose. I messed it up. Somebody else needs to tell me where to go next. And so I think it's through the behavior. I think that it's a, it's a noticeable change in behavior that, that tells us that that forgiveness is real. Um, yeah. Fantastic, man. Thank you so much for that. The questions are flowing in. Some of the questions right now are focused on, on the, the wives and their forgiveness. Um, and so this is a great segue uh, over into um the, the wives, but I want to address one more piece first here on how do you know, has God forgiven you yet? Um, I got great news for all of us and forgive my, I got statement. That is my Northeast Florida public school education shining through. You're going to have to forgive me throughout the process for that, but you get what you get. And so he forgave you before he even went to the cross. Uh, your sin is such a big deal to him that he went to the cross even after he knew about you and what you would do and what you're still going to do. Because let's face it, some of us may be chaste and we may be sexually pure on the outside, but man, my thought life is a complete disaster some evenings, some mornings, some afternoons, and he's forgiven me that. Does that mean that I get to stay where I am and take on that, that license to go and continue sinning? Absolutely not. 
but his forgiveness has already washed all over me. And, and I think that a lot of us get messed up in that and we can't understand it. We think we have to do something different. We have to recover just a little bit better for him to forgive me, maybe a little bit more. And you may believe about his forgiveness for everybody else in that room when you're in group, except for you. Yeah, but man, I did something totally different. I did something so much more egregious. So um, rest in his forgiveness. And sometimes that's a daily wake up and rest there for a few, a few moments to understand that, that you are forgiven. You are not condemned. So this is a great dovetail into your wife's forgiveness. Uh, I want to go to the, the men's questions first here. Um, and the first one I got was fr from Dennis. Um, this is a little bit of behind a, a different one that I just saw. But Dennis says, how does a disclosure letter fit into the process of forgiveness? I've got a couple ideas on this one, but I'd love to hear what you have to say about that first, Michael. You know, I, th I think every case is different, right? I think it depends on on where your situation falls. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, I was I was forced to I was forced to my knees. I was forced to a point of having to disclose because I was about to, you know I, I was I now had a, another child on the way. Um, and there was, there was no longer the ability to keep things a secret or to keep things hidden. I don't know that a letter would have served the purpose back then. And again, this was 20 something years ago. So, you know, these were, I, I was, I was, I was piecemealing it all together. I know that writing a disclosure letter for myself has a huge value. It, it's, it's both psychologically and emotionally speaking, putting pen to paper and letting those words flow and getting those things out, it's a great first step to, you know, whether that's going to be shared or not. If you're just writing that for yourself so that you can you can process that, you can see what's going on in your mind. Because oftentimes we will write very differently than we will speak. And being able to put that on paper and go, okay, this is how I really feel. Um, I, I know to this day, as eloquent as I may sound with you men right now, when I go to speak to my wife and I want to share my emotional side, it's tough sometimes. It's it's a challenge to say, this is how I feel inside right now. But give me pen and paper and, and, and I'll write you a sonnet. I'll put it down and it'll all flow and make sense. So, you know, a disclosure letter is a huge value and a huge benefit, whether you whether you present it to, to your spouse or not. I think that's dependent on the scenario and situation. Um, I think that it can be both a blessing and a curse. You could use that disclosure letter as a, well, here, I wrote it out for you. I don't need to talk about it anymore. And I think that's definitely the wrong way to approach that. Um, but, but, you know, again, depending on you and your spouse, that might be a great way to do it. But I think writing the letter on its own would always have value and always give you that first step to letting those, you know, to, to letting those things free. Yeah. We've been part of, of a few disclosures at this point. And, and looking at those and then at mine and then hearing other people's disclosure stories and, and hearing the lore and, and, and just, you know, all the, the, the stuff behind it. I don't think there's a single brother in this audience or anybody who ever might catch a recording of this that would raise their hand and say, man, on the way out of disclosure, we high fived and we freaking nailed it. It's just it's not the way it goes. I mean, if, if you get disclosure right the first time she's in a puddle. And you're lucky to escape without a black eye. It's, it, it, that is the nature of disclosure. Right? What disclosure it's, like, it's, it's, it's like you were there with me that day, because that's that's exactly how it happened. So <laughs> what disclosure has to do with forgiveness? You made a lot of choices without her. 
if if you're paying attention to this and there's a lot of sexual sin in your wake, um, that means there's a lot of destruction in your wake. And there's a lot more in your wake that you don't even know about yet because of what she's going to have to process. And so what disclosure does is it says, humbly, here it all is. I made a lot of decisions without you. There's no guarantee that your decision is going to include me. That's what you're giving your wife. There's no guarantee that you stay. As a matter of fact, the Lord, the Bible, has given her every avenue to actually walk out on your marriage. And that's a huge risk that you have to take in disclosure. But that is one of your first steps to forgiveness. Because not only are you confessing it all to her, but in, in, in a roundabout way, you're confessing it all to God again. And you're exposing your sin. You're saying, no more will I live with these secrets. If you really want to hurt your wife in disclosure, don't tell her everything. If, if you really want to goon it up, just hold some stuff back and then, and then casually drop it in a few months and then see how that has to do with forgiveness. And, 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 and I know that's kind of a weird way to think about it. You know, if I mess it up, what does that look like? Um, but I think it, there's, there's a lot of value in that. And so getting disclosure right may be difficult and it may take you two or three times, but getting it right is very important and it goes a long way towards her forgiveness. And then seeing the changed you that comes after that disclosure that, that's the true keys to the palace. The disclosure in and of itself is a piece of this puzzle. So I, I love the question. But one of the first things that we had kind of prepared here was, you know, when it comes to her forgiveness, how do we show her just how sorry we are? And, you know, I'll let you dwell on that just for a few seconds while I look for a few more questions here, Micah. Just give me a cue whenever you're ready to, to, to roll on this one. But, I mean, man, I got a lot of thoughts on how you, how you present yourself as truly apologetic, truly regretful. Yeah, well, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So, you know, looking back at, at, at my experience, you have to be the opposite of who you were. You know, you said that, you know, we're talking about disclosure letters and, and, and the, the confession and all these choices we made on our own. We justified them. We, we blamed, we directed our reasoning. But the reality was we were making choices all by ourselves despite the fact that we were in a covenant relationship that we had promised to, and we broke that covenant. <clears throat> you have to be the opposite of that. You no longer make decisions on your own. You no longer make assumptions. You no longer disregard signs and feelings that you used to once consider just normal woman type behavior, et cetera. You know, you, you really have to take a full inventory of, of your behavior, of how you process and assess things. Um, and, and you have to act differently. You have to behave differently. Um, and the hard part there is that in so many walks of life, we say, well, you know, I'm going to do that when it feels right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to switch jobs when it feels right. I'm going to start that project when it feels right. Feelings follow action. Feelings don't precede the action. You're never going to feel right about something if you're not doing it. Just like you're not going to feel wrong about it if you're not doing it. So we have to do things if we're going to feel the right results about those things. And, you know, I, I, I constantly reflect on, on my behaviors following confession and going through those years. And I, can, I think of it as a pendulum swing. I had swung so far to one side in my behavior that my confession, my repentance, my, my attrition, it all led me to swing all the way to the other side. I'm not promising that it was the right thing to do, 
but I went, you know, I certainly went as far as I could to say, I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to exhibit behaviors that do not reflect anything of my past. Sometimes it didn't feel natural. Most of the time it didn't feel natural. You know, it's a lot of tongue biting. It's a lot of, a lot of humility. It's a lot of just kneeling down, cowering, acquiescing. I'm going to give in to your will, wherever you want to eat, whatever, wherever you want to go. There is no room for me to argue for a long time because I've, I've, I've caused such destruction that the rebuild is going to take me getting out of the way. Yeah, it's interesting. In, in good recovery, there's not much room left for self, especially for yeah. the unfaithful party. Um, and I would submit that in, in good marriage, you know, even as, as she, as someone that's been hurt, in good marriage, redemptive marriage, there's not room for herself. Uh, it, it becomes not the whole 50-50, but you hear the 100-100 concept. You both have to give 100%. And, and mm-hmm. you know, of course, Christ comes along and he ups the ante. He says, yeah, 100% each for the other person. Sacrificing yourself the way I did for the church. And so, absolutely, you, know, you need to move off of that center of me and onto a center of her, which is really difficult because of all the, all the stuff you've poured into yourself over the years. So yeah. completely agree with it. It's, it's it's a whole man theory change that we undergo. So, well, yeah, you know, it's some, something hit me a couple of weeks ago about, you know, man and woman, are, they marry to become one flesh and we're doing that math. Right. And I'm like, well, if I'm a hundred percent, you're a hundred and we marry together, but we're still a hundred. Am I now 50 and you're, and that doesn't make sense. Right. But what clicked for me was I said, so if my wife and I are standing facing a mirror together, what this should look like is I should only see her in that mirror. I shouldn't even see myself in that relationship. And ideally, she should only see me. And that should be the goal, is that you remove yourself from the relationship and you suddenly find the person you're supposed to be with. Man, I, I love that. And, and when you see her, you don't see her as your support because she'll crumble underneath that weight. Yeah. You're seeing her just for her. There, There is no you. And, and that's, that's a deeply psychological thing, Michael. We, we can... We're gonna have to have you back, obviously, um, you know, for, for myriad other reasons. But specifically, I want to talk about that self, that ego, that id, you know, the super ego at some point with you, because I think a lot of guys get a lot of value from that. So, sure, I'm gonna hit a couple of these questions really quickly, and we'll just blast through them. Um, do you recommend having a mature Christian couple present during disclosure? Uh, I, I think that that's that's never a bad idea. Somebody who can help walk you through some of the fallout, some of the post disclosure. Because uh, I know for a lot of couples, there is no thought of post-disclosure, meaning that disclosure is either going to wipe away everything or it's going to confirm that we shouldn't be together. Yeah. And, and really, there's no thought after it. So, yes, that's a good point. Or a mature Christian counselor, um, a pastoral staff member who has been through um, more than one uh, recovery issue with a marriage i think that's important some pastors and some pastoral staff they're woefully unprepared to handle this stuff and so um, this is a great point here the next question i want to answer very quickly and i'm I'm sorry if i don't dwell on these long enough but what's a disclosure letter Uh, if anything it's in addition to what it sounds like Uh, for disclosure let me recommend something to you and this comes from from our main man harvey here Harvey, there is a course on Soul Refiner, that's Soul, S-O-U-L, Refiner, um, it, and it's called Warpath, and Warpath is broken up into some modules, 
and there is an extensive module on disclosure. Um, per the question, you know, you, you may be a, a relative you know, newbie, so to speak, with, with this kind of lingo. Uh, that's a great point to start. Folks in the chat, please uh, chime in here and help answer this question about what's a disclosure letter. Uh, that is a, a whole set of webinars uh, where we could, we could anchor for a long, long time. And so, but I appreciate the question, Harvey. But the questions I really want to get to are, are a little bit longstanding here. Uh, and this is kind of the, the real push that, that we're going we're gonna to stay here for a little while, maybe 15 or 20 minutes. But what if we are genuinely regretful and we have an eye to redemptive marriage? We have an eye to a recovered relationship and to reconciliation, restoration, all the big R's we talk about. Uh, we want to let God into this, but she just can't get over it. She just can't get past what we've done um there there's nothing that we say or do that's right enough um and so we got guys that are walking in their new freedom but they may not yet feel that they've been forgiven by their spouse so what do we say to those men on their recovery journeys it's not up to us <laughs> you know and that's that's all that's just a hard fact we, we we have created a situation that should not exist and the results of that are not not our choice you know we don't get to decide how it's going to be um in that in the perfect world that none of us live in we would confess they would forgive but then that would be true on both sides right they would have they would have they would have asked for forgiveness for whatever they did and we would have forgiven and everything would just always be great we we create scenarios and we have to own the results but we can't dictate them what you can do is if you're truly regretful, you're truly repentant, then you take the steps necessary regardless of what she's doing. You be the right person. You be the right man. You, you become the right husband and the right father. If she never gets to the point of forgiveness and recovery, you have no control of that. You only have control of where you end up. And ultimately what will happen if you're if you become the right person, the right things will result. Mm -hmm. If we get if we get caught up in, but why isn't she? But why is she still hung up on this? But why is she still talking about that? The immediate response to yourself should be she wouldn't be saying and doing these things if you hadn't done what you did. So you still own it. You created it. You have to live with it. Man, I, I think that's tremendous. And and I, men are. Our obedience in recovery has nothing to do with her response. And it's got everything to do with the cross. And our, our response to the cross eventually will demand a response from her one way or the other. Either she's going to understand that there is a changed man in the house. There is a changed man in this relationship. And it's a whole different marriage, a redemptive type marriage. Or she's not going to realize that. And even then... Odds are you probably still have a whole bunch of stuff in terms of family with either kids, in-laws, outlaws in some cases, steps, halves, whatever. Okay, odds are you probably still have a lot in common that you're going to have to do life with this person. Okay, you are still in recovery. You are still called to kindness for someone who may not be prepared to extend you forgiveness. And that's where we'll talk a little bit later about your forgiveness eventually to her which goes hand in hand with your forgiveness for yourself and 
for the others that hurt you leading into your sexual misconduct, your sexual sin and stronghold. So, I mean, regardless of how she responds, the next right step is over to us. We cannot control that other individual. All that we have the ability to do is, to, is take the next right step. So I hope that answers the question. Um, and it really is not our decision. Our decision is for the next step in recovery, not for how she responds. Well, and, and I think it's important to know, Lamar, that the, the recovery is not simply, well, I'm not using pornography anymore. I'm not cheating anymore. I'm not doing these things. That's not the recovery. That's that's the action. You know, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. The recovery is is in our as in our hearts and our minds that we are changed people. Um, you know, and that takes me back to to substance abuse and addiction. And there's a term dry drunk, you know. Well, I don't drink anymore. Yeah, but you haven't changed. You're still miserable to be around. You're still irresponsible. You're still you're still all the things you were. You just don't perform that action. That's not true recovery. You haven't really changed. You just stopped doing the one thing that was going to kill you. Um, and I, so I think there's, that's important when we talk about recovery from these things. It's our change that matters. It's our change that will drive it forward. Yeah, no, no doubt, man. It, it is our change. And one of the questions I just saw in the, uh, in the chat, actually, was obedience and recovery. Um, for the folks that are in the chat, some, some of the, the, the leaders that are out there, I, I see Cliff and Ron and Brian and Troy, and um, I see a ton of other leaders out there that are just ready to pour into guys, Bart, et cetera. Um, please, guys, you know, help, help a brother out there. Uh, obedience and recovery kind of boils down to, are you working a process? You know, are you in community with other men that have been through similar situations? All right. And are you looking to God as the key ingredient to any kind of change that you're looking to make uh, from some previous behaviors. Um, it's, a, it's a simple three-legged stool. Hey, listen, there are other little sub-legs to it. I don't, I don't want to oversimplify it and make it seem like it's just, you know, oh, if you just wave this little wand, you're going to be fine. That's obedience and recovery. There's a lot to it. And the more you get into it, the more you recognize what obedience and recovery is. Um, but those, those ingredients are what lead you to a sense of, Man, my life used to be spinning completely out of control with regards to sexuality. And to get it back under control, here are some of the things I need to do. And I'm going to remain obedient to that. So I, I apologize for some of the vagaries of the language. Um, so thank you so much for calling that out. Uh, if anybody, and Ben, I saw you in the chat as well, you know, feel free to chime in. Uh, I'm sure there's some other folks I've missed. I can't see a participant list right now. So you'll have to forgive me. These are just the ones that have caught my eye in my small chat box. So... Here's a great question, though. How do you ask your wife for forgiveness? Gently. Yeah. Um, you know, something I learned back in my customer service days running restaurants, table's upset, you, done, you did something wrong, I have to go talk to them. I'm the manager, I'm running the place. I'm six foot three. So even standing up, I'm taller than most people. But I walk up to you when you're sitting in a booth and now I'm two and a half, three and a half feet above you, towering over you saying, what's the problem? So I learned quickly that I, if I, when I approach a table, I got down on my knees, I would squat. I would get at least eye level with you, if not below. And I think that that's both physically and emotionally important. When you ask your wife for forgiveness, you have to get at her level. You have to drop down and say, I'm coming, I'm coming to you, looking up to you saying, I don't deserve this, but I'm asking you if you can, if you can do this. 
And, and back to the last, you know, the last question, we're asking. There's no demand here. There's no expectation. Um, it, well, I, in fact, the expectation is, no, you probably can't. The expectation is, I wouldn't be able to if I were you. You shouldn't. I don't deserve it. But I'm asking anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think you really, before you get into it, you know, and, and I know that a lot of our programs, Solar Refiner Stronger, that we talk about the right timing um, and how to approach some of these things. This is valuable. Don't rush in. You really need to think about it and process it. Make sure that when you get to this point, you are at a, you are at a place internally of true humility. I'm asking this with no expectation of a positive outcome. What I'm really doing is I'm saying, if you're willing to to risk forgiving me, I'm willing to allow you the space to do that. And then we have to create that space. So again, there's there's verbalization. And then there's the action that follows it because forgiveness is not immediate. We can, we can say, I forgive, but we really have to work through those things. Yeah, this is such a fantastic topic. You know, when, when we go to ask for forgiveness, essentially what we're doing is, is, is we're saying, I, I have completely failed you. Um, and, and I've missed the mark so badly that I think I might've shot in the wrong direction. And, and I think I might've targeted you versus, you know, the, the concentric circles at which I was aiming. Um, and that happens over time. So much like our sin and, and the reason for our, our request for forgiveness has happened over time, the forgiveness is going to be an ongoing process. Um, I used to cringe every time that I would say, honey, I'm so sorry for what I did. It'd, it'd be a few years into recovery and I would say that and she'd say, I, I wasn't looking for an apology. But I'd rather hear her say I wasn't looking for an apology than for me to never say that I was sorry for what I did and for her to look at me one day and say, like, you know what, I'm not so sure that you're regretful. And so I, I'd rather err on the side of conservative. Uh, and so some of you military guys might, might recognize that kind of language. But I mean, I, I would rather err on the side of of loving on her and giving her some extra comfort than worried about. Am I overdoing it? Mm -hmm. um, and so let me just let me encourage you in that. Um, and it kind of brings back, you know, to, to one of our next questions, you know, what do you do about triggers for her that bring back memories of the disclosure? Um, th this is this is great, man. If you've never sat down and made a list and you can begin with 10. And I think once you get the 10, you'll probably add a zero to it because you'll keep on going. But you'll think about triggers and reminders that she could experience on any given day or ask her, get her in on the process, and she'll give you a list of probably about a thousand triggers or reminders for her. So what do you think about triggers that bring back memories of disclosure? It, it, for me, it was walking on eggshells for a long time. Um, you know, there were, there were a variety of things that I knew would bring, would, would bring memories up that she didn't want to have. Um, and, and this, you know, these were, these were cities, these were locations, these were driving from A to B, these were people. Um, you know, any number of things could have been that trigger. And, you know, I talked earlier about that pendulum swinging and, and I still question myself that I let it swing too far the other way as I was running around trying to avoid the triggers, trying to guard her. But over time, she became more comfortable with the triggers. Um, you know, and like anything else, there's a risk in this. I, I can't guard her forever. You know, it's, it's not my job, honestly, and, and I'm not capable. I'm not equipped to do that. 
Um, you know, we all have to heal. We all have to grow. But I could, but for a time I did, I would run around and I would, I would, I would, you know, clean up the space or, you know, turn off the station, take a different route. If we were driving somewhere, anything I could do to avoid the possibility of a remembrance. And every once in a while, I would have to risk it. Drive down that road and see what happens. Mention that place, you know, bring, bring up, bring up a, a time and see what took place. And sometimes it bit me, you know, sometimes it was too fresh and too soon. And then I would have to kind of cycle back and I would have to, again, apologize. I'd have to work through that. But if I'm not, if I'm not having that conversation with her and if, and if I'm not bringing her to that point every so often, then we really never know. And, and so again, that was, that was probably one of the longest pieces of the process. That was the, you know, the seven to 10 year. Um, and again, that's without any of these programs, but honestly, guys, I'm, I'm not going to tell you any of this is quick. You know, it was a long time to be able to just be comfortable with all the things that could bring up memories. Um, and again, it's allowing her to have that space. If this bothers you, even though I find no logic or reason in it, in it bothering you, we're talking about geography. We're talking about a four-way stop that leads somewhere that you knew I once went. Like there, there's no, there's no reason for this. This, this road had nothing to do with it. But if it bothers you, I will drive five minutes out of the way and never bring you down here in this car. I don't understand it. I think it's silly. That's irrelevant. I'm going to keep you from having to deal with that if you're not ready to cross that path. Because, yeah. again, we brought, you know, I brought my wife somewhere she never should have been. I created something that she never should have had to deal with. So now I have to take that responsibility to prevent her from having to face something before she's ready. That, that, that's tremendous, man. Your, your last paragraph, you know, those last sentences there, man, they really sang to me and they, they brought me back to a book um, from, uh, from somebody that, I, that I've come across over the past few years. And um, there's a book out there called Extreme Ownership, and it's a secular book. And it's a secular leadership book, and it's from an old Navy SEAL, a guy named Jocko Willink. Um, and he just talks about the idea of when you own everything, you know, when you take personal ownership of, of as much as you possibly can around you, um, it changes everything. You know, whether or not you have direct authority or responsibilities there, um, it, it doesn't matter. If you own it, then you can help affect it lovingly, you know, as a husband. And so you owning her recovery in terms of your own actions is, is paramount. Now, listen. When I say that, you cannot own her response. You cannot demand that response. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you own her recovery in terms of the way that you act. So I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm really clear on that. And, and Vin Cott's got a next great question. You know, he's asking for any advice for saying words that heal. Uh, he says, hey, it can be tough to understand how she's processing some of the hurt since it can hard to be know it can it can be hard to know the words that heal. Vin Cott, uh, some of the guys I've walked with over the years have heard me say this more than a couple of times. When she's hurting, she's going to exhibit that. She's going to, she's going to let you know through her actions, maybe some under the breath comments, maybe some overt comments. Maybe she's abusing you verbally in front of the kids. Okay. Maybe she won't let you in the bedroom. There's lots of different ways she can kind of display that hurt. Okay. Clearly something is wrong. Maybe you asked her, she probably said, no, I'm fine. But you know, in your heart of hearts that something is wrong. 
the old us would have said, okay, she said nothing's wrong. I'm just going to pretend that nothing's wrong because it's just easier that way. That's wrong. <laughs> the new us, we don't do that anymore. The new us looks at her and says, baby, I'm so sorry. I, I, I can see that you're in pain. And I know that you would not be in that pain had I not done what I did. Right. And that goes a lot back to what Mike has said earlier. But that's right away saying those words and being sincere about it, not just using it as a get out of jail free card, but being sincere about those words, that's huge for her. And that way it kind of opens the door for her to display to you what she's feeling in those moments and know that you are going to be able to accept what she has to say. And it may include a face shot, okay? Maybe it's a sucker punch directly to your chin that maybe knock you down a little bit. Okay. But giving her that safe space, we'll talk about space here in a minute. I heard somebody asking about that in the chat. But giving her that safe area where, where she can express those feelings, those are healing words and being sincere about it. Anything to add to that, Micah? Yeah, you know, I, I do. And I, and I love what you're saying because that's that speaks to something that Kayla and I have been working on that, you know, pretty, pretty fervently for a little while. But yeah, when, I, when it comes to healing words, I think it's, it's healing ears are, are, are more powerful than healing words. Nothing I say is going to change anything. Only my actions will. But if I give her the, the the hearing ears and I allow her to share with me with no repercussions, with no judgment, with no, you know, no condemnation and with, with no confusion, just you tell me how you're feeling. My understanding is irrelevant. I want to I want to hear what you're saying. I think that's going to take you a lot farther. But I know that Kayla still sometimes will will, you know, no, it's fine. And, and these are things that, that have nothing to do with me anymore. This is not our past. This is, you know, just current present day life. But that pattern still exists. I just don't want to deal with it. It's easier to not get into it. This is just my lot in life, et cetera. And, and so we've come to a point where I'll stop and I'll say, everything's not fine. And when you say that to me, you're lying to me. You're not telling me the truth. And maybe that's my fault. Maybe I haven't given you that space to allow you to tell me. But I need to. So if I'm wrong, I need to fix that. But if you can't tell me things, we're kind of at a standstill in our relationship after 26 years. And, you know, verbalizing that and just putting it on the table, like if it's my fault, it's my fault. But whatever the case, we have to be able to tell each other when things aren't OK, mm -hmm. because that's that's paramount to to our relationship. And that's probably what got us somewhere early on that we didn't want to be. Let's not go down that road again. Mm -hmm. You know, now, again, that's after years and years of recovery early on. You're not you're not looking to force that. You're not trying to demand anything. But but it comes a time when you have to say, hey, we can't just say we're fine. I certainly can't accept that answer. And I can't let you keep living that way because that's not good for either one of us. Now, I tell you, that's some advanced recovery, especially uh, redeemed marital stuff right there. Um, your wife, believe it or not. Uh, in in a, a second marriage with you, she wants to get to a point where you are able, as her husband, to gently give her course correction. Okay, it's biblical. You are to submit to her. She is to submit to you. There will be some times where you are slightly more sanctified than her in a specific area of your life that may not have anything to do with sexual sin, sexual stronghold. Okay. And so advanced recovery is y'all being able to, to hash those things out in a healthy way that continues to look towards a redemptive road and not back down the old path to death and destruction. 
Because when things start devolving there, it can go sideways really quickly. And, it, and, it, and it's a process, man. I'm not talking about two months into it. It's a long way out, guys. And, and the key to that, just real quick, is, is if, you're, if, if you're bringing that to your wife because you don't like the way things are when she says, I'm fine, then you're in the wrong place. The, the position to bring that to your wife is, I don't like where you are. I don't like what this is doing to you. I want you to be better and healthy. So I don't want to let you rest in that. Mm -hmm. You know, again, you got to remove yourself from that. And, and that's that's definitely years down the road. That's that's down the path after there's been a whole lot of recovery and a lot of healing. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to stay here with with some of the questions about the wives and some of the questions about our guilt and shame, you know, through the way they they, they talk to us um, and, and, and through the relationship. What we're going to save for the next time is going to be our forgiveness, meaning how do we forgive? How do we extend forgiveness to the people that have hurt us um, that maybe let us down that old path to, hey, man, maybe, maybe there's some deep, deep daddy and mommy wounds here. Uh, how do we extend forgiveness in that regard? How do we forgive ourselves? Uh, how do we forgive them when they kick us in the teeth after 10 years when, I mean, for no apparent reason? And so um, that's going to be for next time. But I want to stay here because we got a couple more great questions here. Um, the first one is, and this is, this is a very technical, tactical question, kind of boots on the ground. This is not the big grand strategy, if you will. This is a, here's a scenario. You know, how do I handle a situation where my wife is telling lots of other people about my mistakes and my sins, family, church, friends, and more? Uh, Mike, I'm going to lean on you pretty heavy for this one, man. I was forced into this. My stuff was extremely public. Um, everybody within, you know, a, a, I don't know, I would say a 100 to 200 mile radius was aware of it. Uh, it was in the news. And so a lot of my yuck was on display very quickly. And so and people are already talking. And so what do you think about this one, Micah? Yeah, you know, in, with what we went through, we were in a small town. Um, so plenty of people also already knew. Now, there wasn't any news stories to your, to your point, but it was something that couldn't be hidden. Again, there was a child involved. There was other there were other people on both sides of the family involved. There was, you know, and it, it kind of spanned the state of Colorado. So it, it was it was there was some level of public knowledge. Initially, of course, I felt like everybody else felt. Why are you talking about that? Don't say that. Don't do that. Um, but what I recognized was that the more she's willing to speak about it, the more I know we've healed. When she wanted to keep it a secret, that's when I started to get scared. That's when I would be nervous because if I'm willing to open up and she's not, that means she's not healed somewhere because she's still holding on to something. And <clears throat> that kind of became my goal was how do we how do we together make this our story? How do we how do we get to a point where in any given moment when when God calls upon us and the, and the opportunity is there that we can share this? Um. You know, now this question may be leading somewhere else. This may be the question of she's doing so with malicious intent. You know, if that's the case, again, you don't own her response. She's going to do what she's going to do, just like you did what you did, and you're going to do what you're going to do. All we can ever do as the individual is what's right. Um, <clears throat> whatever those repercussions are, they're going to come. You know, I've 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 done a lot of things in my life that I shouldn't have done, sometimes we think, oh, we got away with one. You know, we often hear that term, right? Well, I, I just, I did the same things you did. I just didn't get caught. 
that doesn't mean you went without repercussions. That doesn't mean you went without some sort of punishment, whether it's emotional, phys- you know, psychological, or whether whether it's financial. You suffered somewhere, and if you haven't yet, you will. There, there's always a price to pay. So if that's what that price looks like, unfortunately, that may be what that looks like. Um, if that's part of the healing process, you know, you have to. I would I would have to recognize if it's coming at coming from a, a side of malicious intent. That's going to be something she's going to have to recover from later on. If you can find the empathy and the understanding that you're going to hurt because that's her hurt coming out. It's really not even malicious. That's all she knows to do to express it. Um, On the flip side, if it's part of the recovery and if it's, you know, look, I got to tell people because she doesn't want to carry it alone. That's a good thing. I I would say as, as scary as it can be, it's probably the most positive sign you could have to say if my wife's willing to talk about this quickly and with others it's it's not a bad thing as long as you can keep that in line of we're looking for answers and looking for ways to get better yeah and i think that last statement is is kind of uh that's the linchpin that's the key to this whole thing um is this designed to get us better and initially it may not be she just may want to talk about it just to get it off of you know, out of her brain housing group, so where she realizes that she's not alone anymore. Um, if she wasn't talking about it, she was living in that isolation, you have less of a shot of recovery and redemption, to be honest. Um, so this can be a good thing. It can also be a destructive thing. And that's a conversation that you have to have, you know, I think incredibly gently because you did what you did. But and I think so- it's important to remember, you know, we, we kept this secrets for a long time. As soon as we confess to our wives, we feel an immediate relief. I'm no longer carrying the secret. But what we've done is we've passed that secret on to our wives. If they're not telling someone, they're now feeling the way we've felt for the last however many years that we've been living this way. And suddenly we're again unequally yoked because now I've got this new freedom and we've just buried our wives under this weight. So there's got to be somewhere where they can they can release that and get that out. That's exactly right. And, And those feelings kind of lead us to the last question here that we'll field uh, there's a brother of ours named Matt here who's asking, am I not allowed to feel guilt and shame? Um, no, you need to feel that because if you didn't, then you'd be a sociopath. And I'd be really concerned about you, Matt. Uh, forgive me if I ever inject humor in the wrong places. I apologize. I think it's a great question. Um, I, I love to think of guilt as good, godly, Holy Spirit conviction. And I love to think of shame as satanic condemnation. Basically, it's a it's that, that crooked, pointy, sharp, terminator finger that hovers close to your eye saying you're unfit you're unqualified you are condemned that's what shame means to me it says you're forever bad and you can't get right and so um, guilt is that nudging of the holy spirit and say hey you tried it this way before it doesn't work how about letting me into the picture here uh, shame says nah you, you you can't get it right so keep doing what you're doing negatively and so I think doing something with those is really doing something with them is very important. Matt, you asked that question. What do I do with these? Um, This goes uh, hand in hand with an earlier question. It's one I didn't get to address in the chat. Someone asked, how do I change my, my notions of sexuality? How do I change my desires as I go through this recovery processes? And as I help her recover, um, I want to refer you again, right back to soul refiner and take a look at the conquer series. If you haven't seen it yet, Uh, take a look at Warpath If you haven't seen it yet, um, some people will binge these within about two weeks and there's a ton of coursework here. Hey, binging is fantastic. Doing the work with some other guys, 25 times better. 
250x better. Let me encourage you, get in a group, be accountable. It'll hand walk you through how to help change those desires. It'll hand walk you how to deal with guilt and with shame. And so um, I just want to encourage everybody here that you don't have to do it alone. Um, for all the guys that are over here in the chat, you're starting to see some of the same names kind of helping walk people through some of these questions that they're having. And that's the beauty of this community. There's almost always somebody who's been doing this a little bit longer than you. And there's almost always somebody who's been doing it a whole bunch less than you. And so you have a chance to use your experiences to help someone else. That's wisdom. It just means you ain't got to step in it yourself. So that's the beauty of all this. Micah's experiences, not just with him and his wife, Caleb, but also with all the other couples that they've been through. That's wisdom. Listen, there is no one exact way to do this. Otherwise, we'd all be chasing that one glowing answer. But there are lots of great techniques. I tell you, the, the, but the one thing that it all includes is having a change relationship with Christ and understanding that that surrender to him is the only way that you continue to recover. So, Mike, I'll give you some of the last words here, man, before we go ahead and pray out today. Yeah, I, you know, I want to wrap up with this. I think that last question was, what do I do with these feelings? And you know, I was I go back to, you know, take every thought captive. But I think about what does captive really mean? And, and for, for any of you military guys out there, right, think back to like Vietnam, Korea. When you take someone captive, you hold on to them. You capture them. You lock it up. You extract information. You learn what you can before you get rid of it. It's not an immediate ejection. You don't capture them and then send them straight back home. And so I think about taking every thought captive. And I think when you, when, when you encounter a feeling, an emotion, a thought that you don't understand, that you don't want, that you don't like, ejecting it immediately is not the proper course identify it understand it and I, and I tell people i say embrace it you wrap your arms around it you squeeze it till you get everything out of it and then you get rid of it but you have to you have to realize you have to know where it's coming from you have to know what it means so you can identify it the next time and you can change those behavior, behaviors and patterns so you know when you feel that shame and you feel that guilt embrace it break it down tear it apart walk through it and that will get rid of it don't just isolate it and kick it out because it's just going to keep circling back to you my goodness, man. So Mike has been leading groups, uh, both individually and with his wife, Kayla, for a few years now. And he is, if you didn't recognize some of the language, he's a continuous improvement engineer. And so uh, exactly, you acknowledge, you validate, doesn't mean that you agree. You just say, here's where that feeling came from. And, and here's why I'm yeah. feeling that way. And here's what God says about it. Here's what God says about me. And so that's kind of our homework, you know, our un unspoken, unwritten homework here. We really didn't get a chance to dive heavily into our scripture this week. But I want folks to look at Peter, specifically in regards to Matthew 18, and then also in regards to how Christ forgave him for even denying him the day of the cross. And how he came back and said, I'm going I'm to trust you with my church and feed my sheep. And so he forgave Peter. Man, we are all Peter. And so uh, let me encourage us all before we go to prayer here. Uh, I'm seeing, I, I think this is Troy. He's got one to two guys. He's got a conquer group cranking up. It looks like it's a week from Sunday on the 18th of September at 7 to 8.30 p.m. Um, if anybody has any questions on that or they want to join up or, or I think it's going to be a virtual group. Uh, so hit me up. There's going to be a survey at the end of this. You'll be able to, to kind of contact me through that. And I can hook you up in that conquer group. 
Um, please take a look at, at this chat one more time before I go to close out um, and before prayer. But Micah, thank you so much for being here, man. Thank you for breaking yourself out of that beautiful Colorado, you know, tail end of summer weather to come indoors and, and, to, and to just kick some of this knowledge with us, man. I appreciate it. Now, it's, it's a blessing to be here and a blessing to spend this time with all you men and, and what this program offers and what we offer to each other. I appreciate you guys. All right, man. Thank you, brother. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this last hour. Um, God, if there's any hurt feelings out there, um, I just pray that those individuals know that it's, it's coming from a point of love. It's coming from a point of brotherhood. It's coming from a point of, of you know, we just want to see redeemed relationships and redeemed individuals. Um, and so, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to meet. Um, thank you for the ability to come together from all points of the world, as we see, uh, to talk about you and what you've done in our lives uh, and where we've been, where you're taking us, God. We continue to surrender to you, uh, we surrender to our community of other guys around us that can help hold us accountable and transparent. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, men, see y'all a month from now. We'll talk more about our forgiveness. God bless.